Today on Blue 58, the Packers really haven't played elite defense so far this year, but what if they just don't ever have to? How good do they really have to be to win a Super Bowl? Let's take up that question and also talk about a new Packers wide receiver who could represent the exact kind of move the Packers needed to make. Blue 58! Hello and welcome to another episode of Blue 58, the one, the only podcast of thepowersweep.com. I'm your host, John Meerdink. Very happy to be with you here for another episode. Look at that. The Packers have a new wide receiver, and it is Seth Roberts. I think I got that name right. Didn't know he existed until yesterday when the news broke. The Packers had made a move at wide receiver. Been a fairly low-level player in the NFL for quite some time. Six foot, 295 pounds out of West Alabama, that hotbed of football talent that is the University of West Alabama. He is in his seventh year in the NFL. And statistically, Seth Roberts is just not going to wow you. He has 183 catches for just over 2,100 yards and 15 touchdowns in his career. Advanced stat stuff-wise, he's got 22-ish career ex- uh, explosive plays. Not great, but that's never going to be his role with the Packers. Kind of a middling athlete. Nothing really super exciting about him. And yet, and yet, I think this is an interesting move for the Packers. For a couple reasons. First, he is basically a true slot receiver. The Packers have not had one of those now in a couple of years, since Randall Cobb left the building, pretty much. You know he's pretty much a traditional slot receiver because he just doesn't get very far down the field. We talk about average depth of target a lot on this podcast. He has never had one over 10 for any season he's been in the NFL so far, and we've got quite a few of them. He's running a lot of short routes, but he's been running them pretty effectively. Other than his rookie seasons, more than 50% of his catches have gone for first downs every season he's been in the NFL. And true, he's never been a 60-70 catch guy, but he is getting things done when he does catch the ball. He also does that in a physical package that allows Brian Gutekunst to get the big-bodied guys that he likes to have. Six foot two, 195 pounds is not enormous, but it's going to get the job done if and when he needs to block. This seems like a pretty good move. Is it a quote-unquote sexy move? No. Nobody was going to get excited about the possibility of acquiring Seth Roberts a week ago. If this news had broken on October 20th, nobody would have been like, oh my gosh, I hope this move works out and we can just get Seth Roberts in Green Bay. Then everything's going to be okay. If we can just get Seth Roberts all the way up to Wisconsin, all the Packers issues at wide receiver are going to be solved. But is it a good move? I think so. He seems relatively reliable. He's healthy. He's a relatively big body. He does something the Packers don't have right now. To me, that seems about as good as it's going to get at this point in the season for the price. Unless the Packers pony up and really get, really go all in on a receiver, which seems unlikely right now, this is probably as good as it's going to get. But getting a guy who can fill a role and fill it pretty well seems like a good get to me. 
And we'll talk a little bit more in a bit about guys who they might be able to get on defense. I'm not holding my breath for a big acquisition. Let's just put it that way. But if you can get guys who can do interesting things, who add things that you couldn't do before, that seems like a good signing, especially here in the last week of October. On top of that, I think it's become pretty clear that the Packers just don't have a reliable receiver beyond Devontae Adams right now. The flip side to Devontae Adams' great performance on Sunday, and we talked a little bit about this after the game, is that it was pretty clear that Aaron Rodgers knew he had to get the ball out fast Sunday, and he knew pretty much the only person he could count on to do anything with it was Devontae Adams. Marquez Valdez-Scantling is not getting the job done at really any level anymore. One of my colleagues at Acme Packing Company shared an interesting stat today. There are 17 players in the NFL who are averaging more than 15 yards per catch on more than 30 targets, 17 of them. Of those players, 16 have caught more than half of their targets. All right, so you've got players who are going deep down the field, or deep threats, getting the ball thrown their way at least 30 times this year, roughly five times a game if you're the Packers. 16 of those 17 have caught at least half of their targets. The 17th player is Marquez Valdez-Scantling. It's to the point where he seems to be making the Packers' passing game actively worse. And we talked about it after the game. The Packers' third three and out in a row in the second half. Marquez Valdez-Scantling runs a good route, gets past the sticks, is open. Aaron Rodgers delivers a ball that is on target, not perfect, but a very catchable ball, and MVS just flat out drops it. That's the trend for him this year. That's basically the player that he's been. As exciting as week one was when he was getting deep, making big plays against the Vikings, we really haven't seen much of that since then. He's still a tremendously fast player, but it just gets all the more disappointing when you realize that he's probably one of the best two or three athletes on the field whenever he's out there. The Packers just need somebody who can be slightly better than that. Seth Roberts gives me a little bit of hope, at least, that he can reliably catch the ball, which is pretty much all the Packers are looking for at this point. Flipping over to the other side of the ball, we got a really good question this week on YouTube. Kevin asks, speaking of defense, I'd like to say we talk of having a good defense, but I want to put a goal to that versus a theory. Good to this fan, to Kevin, is a defense that keeps another team from scoring above 24 in the fourth quarter, assuming they force them to punt and not just the opposing offense chewing an ungodly amount of clock. Perhaps a sack a quarter or so, and a pick or the risk of one at least once a half. I think we assume because of the names we have, we expect an elite defense. I'll settle for one that, at minimum, makes third-down conversions a real challenge for opposing teams. Just my thoughts. I have no numbers for my above beliefs. It would just be nice if our defense had at least something they could say they were great at. I think it's a really good question. There's a lot to unpack there, so I want to take a couple minutes with it. If you have questions, though, I would encourage you to get them 
to the show however you can, whether that's YouTube, whether that's email, thepowersweep1959 at gmail.com, whether that's the contact page at thepowersweep.com or Facebook or Twitter, whatever it may be, get the question to the show. I'm more than happy to take them up. We've rarely been in a situation where we have too many questions. It happened a couple times, but I always love to to get listener questions and I love to to ask or to, to answer questions however we can. I always figure if you've got a question, if you, if you have something you're thinking about, go ahead and ask it. I really, I know that saying that there are no dumb questions and then someone immediately asking a dumb question is, is kind of a cliche. I really think there aren't any dumb questions. And if we're going to all get smarter together, finding the answer to questions that people have together is the way to do that. And I think in media, there is increasingly a culture where people do not feel comfortable asking questions. I see it from a lot of other people, mainly in the national media, people who are asking questions of these people and getting snotty answers in reply. That really irritates me because we should all be trying to raise each other up as we try to understand things together. It, it costs nothing to be nice to somebody. And if somebody's asking a question in good faith, answer it however you can. And I think we're going to always try to do that on the show. But back to Kevin's question. I have a lot of thoughts about this. First, I do think it's fair, and I would push back gently on this, to expect the Packers to have a very good to elite defense. Given their investments, four first-round picks, three big-time free agents, maybe a fourth if you include Christian Kirksey, a bunch of other fairly high draft picks who expect to be regular contributors, I don't think that's all, it's all that unreasonable to say this defense should be very good to great. But the more interesting question, and I think at this point, given how the Packers have performed so far this year, the more important question is, do the Packers actually need an elite defense? Do they need a very good to great defense? I'm not so sure about that. In my mind, an elite defense is like one of the top three to five defenses in the league. When the Packers won the Super Bowl in 2010, they did have an elite defense. And actually, they had an elite defense the year prior too. When the Packers won the Super Bowl in 1996, they had an elite defense. I don't know if the Packers need to get to that caliber of defense to win a Super Bowl. On average, pretty good is going to get you to the final four in the NFL if you've got a pretty good offense. And the Packers do have a pretty good offense. The final four being the two teams from each conference that are playing in the conference championship game. I did a study on this back in 2017 and the numbers largely hold up. From 2009 through 2016, here's how the average Final Four defense rated. By DVOA, the average defense in the Final Four was a 10.8, so ranked 10.8 out of 32. In yards allowed, they were 11.9. In points allowed, they were 9th. In takeaways, they were just shy of 10th. In sacks, they were about 11.6. In short, a defense that is in the top third of those le- or of the league in those, what I determined as the, the main key metrics, can get you close to a Super Bowl. And I think at that point, you're really just hoping to have a good matchup from there. I think the Packers were good enough to win a Super Bowl last year. They just happened to run into a really bad matchup in the form of the San Francisco 49ers. Should they have done some things to make that less of a bad matchup in the future? Sure. 
But I think if the Packers run into a team like the Seattle Seahawks in the NFC Championship game instead, whether it was last year or this year, the Packers are in the Super Bowl. So how far did the the Packers have to go to get to being one of those defenses that is in the top third of the league in those categories? Well, by DVOA, they are currently the 22nd ranked defense. They're 11th in yards allowed. They're 19th in scoring. They're 29th in takeaways, and they're 15th in sacks. So they're close in at least a couple areas. 11th in yards, 15th in sacks. They're within spitting distance of where you need to be. Their overall performance is not what you'd like, but DVOA, one of the weaknesses there is that it's brought down by garbage time. If you give up a bunch of yards and points that even in the grand scheme of things don't really matter, it still pulls down your ranking. The real concern here is the overall scoring, to me, and the takeaways. They're giving up too many points even when they're playing well, and they're not taking the ball away all that much. So how can the Packers get into that pretty good ranking, be in the top third of the league in those categories that we looked at. I think Kevin's guidelines are pretty good. Starting with sacks, I don't know if one a quarter is achievable for this team right now. That'd be four a game, obviously, but they need to get more sacks. Pressure is good. Converting pressure is better. And I think this should continue to improve as Kenny Clark gets back to full strength as Preston Smith continues to improve, and I think we saw a little bit more juice out of him on Sunday, and Rashawn Gary continues to get over the ankle issue that's hobbled him for a couple weeks here. So that's one area the Packers can improve, and I think it's it's fairly likely that we're going to see more sacks from the Packers there. Third downs, the Packers are currently 17th in the league on third down conversions allowed. I'm pretty good with where they are so far. I think they've just had a couple bumps in the road that have made it push their ranking down a little bit. Just look how they were on how they performed on Sunday. Overall, I think they did pretty well. They did allow Deshaun Watson to scramble for a couple first downs, but by and large, if you're not playing Deshaun Watson, the third down performance should be pretty good. Takeaways is the real frustrating thing for me, and I don't really know what else they need to do here. They only have five through six games. That's pretty disappointing. And in general, ball hawks have been way down from where they were last year. And I think you can almost pin that exclusively on two guys, Kevin King and Darnell Savage. Between the two of them, they've made exactly one play on the ball. Kevin King does not have an interception, a pass defense, a sack, or a forced fumble this year. And Darnell Savage has just one pass defense. That is not going to get it done. The Packers need their starting defensive backs to make more plays on the ball. Jair Alexander is not exempt there either, and he'd probably be the first to tell you that. He needs to make more plays on the ball too. The flip side with that is he's been so good that opposing teams have not had any reason to go anywhere near him. So he has fewer opportunities to make plays on the ball. But he's said now for probably about a year, maybe a year and a half, that he needs to do a better job of converting opportunities when they come come his way. And I I don't think that's an unfair criticism. It's something, again, that he himself has pointed out. So there are some opportunities for the Packers to get better here. And I think I am pretty bullish about the Packers' defense on the whole. For starters, they're going to play a bunch of teams that that are not super great in the quarterback department here coming up in the next couple months of the season. 
Uh, they've got the Vikings on Sunday, obviously. Kirk Cousins is probably about as good as it gets here for most of the next month to month and a half. Beyond that, they've got Jimmy Garoppolo, Gardner Minshew, uh, Philip Rivers with a walker sitting back there behind the Colts line. Whoever is starting at quarterback for the, the Bears when the Packers get to the final Sunday in November. And then who knows beyond that? It's a long way out. Who knows who's starting for the the Eagles at quarterback at that point? But then the Packers are down to the Lions, Panthers, Titans, and Bears again. So I think their numbers are going to improve a little bit. But you just look for a little bit more consistency in that pass rush, continue to, to lock things down a little bit more on third downs, and then just hope a few more turnovers come your way. I think the Packers start to improve toward a defense that becomes pretty good. And if you've got a pretty good defense that can put together a couple pretty good performances in the playoffs and you get a couple favorable matchups, you might just find yourself in the Super Bowl. That may not be what the Packers should be hoping for given the amount of investment they've made on defense, but still, if you can get a couple good matchups and have a hot quarterback like Aaron Rodgers has been for most of this year, that might be enough to make a run. Finally, The last thing I wanted to look at today is potential defensive trade targets. This is a tough one because the chances are the Packers aren't going to really make a move anyway. I think we're all kind of broadly familiar with that idea. The chances that the Packers really go out there and and make a needle-moving move is, is pretty minimal. There's also the, the realities of the cap here. The cap is pretty tight for the Packers this year already, and it's looking to get even tighter in the future. I also have to acknowledge, and I've said this a couple times, that there is a part of me that wants to just ignore all that and say, yeah, but wouldn't it be cool if the Packers did something really wild? And there's one of those targets in here. I've got three guys that I'm looking at. But first, my criteria here. I'm really looking for two things. With the with the subtext that I'm also looking for guys who aren't going to just annihilate the cap going forward. But that's kind of secondary. We all kind of know this is mainly hypothetical anyway. I'm guys that I'm looking for guys that are going to upgrade weak positions or guys who take positions from good to elite. I think there's three positions where the Packers really could use some help there uh, with those with those criteria. Defensive line, defensive back, and edge, edge rusher. Probably out on linebacker at this point because I don't think anybody they really acquire does much more for them than they're going to get from just getting Kamal Martin back in the lineup and eventually Christian Kirksey back in the lineup. Getting those guys back and going from Chris Barnes and Ty Summers to Kamal Martin, Chris Barnes, and Christian Kirksey seems like enough of an improvement that you don't have to make a big swing type move, even a medium swing type move. So you're really, for me, just looking at defensive linemen and defensive backs. The first guy that comes to mind here is New York Jets defensive tackle, Quinn and Williams. Supposedly, he's on the block in New York, and I know he's had kind of a mixed start to his career. And while his pressure rate isn't great, it's still better than any Packers defensive lineman not named Kenny Clark right now. Supposedly, he could be had for a second-round pick, 
And I'd at least be willing to listen for that because he's got two years left on his rookie deal after this and then a fifth-year option. The cap numbers are relatively affordable, but the big problem here is not the cap that you'd be getting back. It's what it would cost the Jets to give up on him. The Jets would take hits, dead cap hits of $7.1 million this year and a dead cap hit of $10 million in 2021. They don't gain any cap space by getting rid of Quinn and Williams, which is why I'm not even sure why they're considering the idea of shopping. But if he's available and you could put together a package that the Jets might be interested in, I would say a second or third round pick or maybe a second and third round pick for Quinn and Williams might be better than the second or third round pick you are likely to get next year. I think that's the best way to look at at that draft. Capital exchange. Just a thought. Second guy I'm looking at is defensive tackle Dalvin Tomlinson from the Giants. Big run plugger type dude. Oddly enough, he has more sacks than any non-Kenny Clark lineman has had in a long time. The last couple years. Seemingly, this looks like an upgrade in the run game. He's in the last year of his rookie deal, so not a ton of long-term potential there, certainly not as much as Williams. But if you're looking for a short-term, yep, we just need a guy we can plug in here who's going to make us better against the run for the stretch run here, he seems like the kind of guy who might be an option. Finally, let's get a little crazy here. What if the Packers went ahead and traded for Stephon Gilmore, the defensive back from the New England Patriots? The Patriots are going nowhere fast right now, and I mean fast. It's bad times there in New England. And of course, my heart bleeds. Really just terrible to see what what New England is going for, or going through. Um, But I'm sure they'll, they'll find a way to get over it here. Gilmore was apparently briefly on the trading block this spring, this offseason, and the the Patriots were interested in at least exploring the idea, idea of moving him on. His cap numbers are fairly palatable. The big question here is how he how much he declines with age over the next couple of years. But right now he's 30. He's still a very good defensive player. Was one of the best, if not the best, defensive back in the league last year. If you add him to the Packers' secondary, that gives you two true lockdown corners and might just make the rest of the secondary that much better. I'd say it's worth a shot. If you have to give up a first-round pick for him, probably not. But if New England could be convinced to part with him for, say, a second-round pick, I would probably do that. And we're selling really low here, obviously. But these are at least the kind of things you have to be thinking about. And if those trades seem unrealistic, that's probably there's probably a reason why the Packers aren't trading. Because the guys who are really going to seem exciting on the trade market are guys that are going to either take a lot of compensation or might wreck your cap going forward. But I don't want to rule anything out. Any move can be good. And everybody has a price. I always laugh a little bit when uh, when a report comes out that's like, you know, the, the Packers are saying that so-and-so could be had for the pri- right price. Well, yeah, that's just called being a general manager. Every player is available all the time if the price is right. 
all that is is an NFL GM texting Adam Schefter or Ian Rappaport and saying, hey, can you scare up a market for this guy for us? That'd be, that'd be really great. That's all that is. But it's interesting to talk about, and it lets you know that guys, where guys stand within organizations. What's going to happen? Probably nothing. But look for the guys, if you're looking for trade targets, who could upgrade weak positions or take your positions from really good to elite. I think those are your targets, and I'm happy to hear of any about any trade targets that you want to explore as well. So I've got for you in this episode. I do appreciate you listening in. Hope you're all staying safe and happy and healthy wherever you happen to be. We're having a real good time here where, where we are. Continue to enjoy uh, throwing some stuff in the smoker almost every weekend. Life's good, man. And I hope life is good where you are as well. If you enjoyed the show and you think somebody else would benefit from hearing it, do me a favor, go ahead and share it with somebody. That's going to help more people find the show, help us grow this conversation we're having about the Packers, and ultimately help all of us become smarter Packers fans. Because as I always say, smarter Packers fans are better Packers fans. And better Packers fans are what we all want to be. I'm your host, John Meerdink. We'll see you next time on Blue 58.